0: Good morning, church. Good morning. We serve a wonderful Savior. Amen. We serve an amazing God. And we're thankful you're here this morning to worship with us, to worship our amazing God. Both members and visitors alike, we thank you for your attendance today. Let's go together, please, to God in prayer. O oh, great and magnificent God in heaven, hallowed be your amazing name. We praise your holy and divine name and thank you. We thank you for all that you do and for all that you've done. We thank you for your mercy and sending your son, your only son, to die on that cruel, cruel cross of Calvary that we might live. We thank you for the sacrifice that you made in our behalf. Help us, Lord God, to live sacrificial lives honoring you as you've honored us. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray and thank thee to be thy will. Amen. This morning, we are continuing on this idea, this thought of seeking the living among the dead. The Bible tells us that we cannot find life without God. Is that true in the mind of humans? Seeking life um, amongst the world. We looked at last week, Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes tells us no, chapter 1, that that the world is all vanity of, of vanities and yet I'm not sure we all believe that it only brings unhappiness right and dissatisfaction when you when you have no hope when you have no one in whom you can trust that just brings unhappiness and dissatisfaction when you get to a point in life where there's nothing more you can do and it's out of your hands that brings unhappiness And dissatisfaction. And yet, there are so many who are still relying on the world to save them. Let us learn uh, from the resurrection scene. Going back to Luke 24. That fulfillment can only be found in God. Can't find it anywhere else. People are searching and seeking everywhere to find fulfillment. But you can only find it in God. The question last week was this. Why did they go to the tomb? Luke 24, beginning at verse 3. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And why wasn't it there, church? (laughs) Because God said it wouldn't be there. He rose from the dead. He said it over and over again. We looked at it last week. But they still went to the tomb. What I want us to think about is how simple God has made it and how, thank you, brother Stephen, by the way, how complicated Satan makes it. They went to the tomb because they didn't really believe. They weren't quite there in their walk of faith. I think we go to the world because we don't quite believe. I think we just kind of go through the motion in our relationships with each other and our relationship with God. And it happened, verse 4, that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here. you got to love that. That's a sermon within itself. Why wasn't he there? Because death couldn't hold him. He's not here. Because Jesus said, I will not be there. You know what Jesus tells us? I will not be with you if you go out and live in the world. There has to be a separation, you see. There's a separation between between godliness and worldliness. And when we live in worldliness, Jesus isn't going there with us. There's a separation between godliness and worldliness, between the clean and the unclean. Jesus said, I'm not going to be there. And they went to the tomb, and he was not there. The text goes on the same, But he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee. Remember, preacher, what the Lord said to you. What did he say? we're going to look at that this morning he said to them saying the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again and they remembered his words i'm going to 2 corinthians chapter 6 it will not be on the screen this morning we're going to be in and out on the screen let us learn the lesson from the ladies Let us learn the lesson from the apostles that God is going to do what God promised he's going to do. And there's nothing we can do to change it. That's what God is going to do. And that's what God has told us. That he will have his way. He sent the way preparer who was John the baptizer. Jesus came and did what he promised he would do. And God is going to do what God promises he will do. And God has asked us to do things based on the promises that He's made for us to receive those promises from Him. We've got to do what God asked us to do. Here's what God asked us to do. Remember the separation. Remember the separation from, from godliness and righteousness. Remember the separation from worldliness and Christianity. There's a separation between the two. Don't mix them up. Don't mix them together. There is no way they can be joined together. Why do they go to the tomb? Because they weren't listening to what Jesus said. Why do we mix it up? Are we listening? Verse 14 says this. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For a partnership of righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness. And then I sit back and go, Lord, I can tell you a lot of things I have in common with Him. Here's what I have in common with darkness, God. Here's what I have in common with unrighteousness. Here's what I have in common with wickedness. Yes, God, maybe you haven't really seen it yet. Maybe you don't understand. Preacher, why are you seeking the living among the dead? Verse 15. Of what harmony has, Christ with Bilal What has a believer in common with an unbeliever? And the obvious answer is, there's nothing we have in common. See, our sole responsibility as Christians is to convert other people to Christianity. And so as we are in the midst of the world, as we go to work, we're to, to uphold Christian ethics. We should live the way God would have us to live as we mingle amongst the world at restaurants and different places throughout our communities. We are to be Christians. We are to be peculiar people. Because Jesus told us to. He goes on to say, Oh, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God is has said. And then now you say, well, preacher, you know, that right there, that verse proves to me that none of this is really valid for us today. Because there are no idols today, right? There are no idol gods in our world today. That was then. Satan is so tricky and so deceitful and wicked, evil, and all the words you'd want to use with that, that He's able, for some, he's able to get us because we dismiss so often the words of God. You talk to the people in the world and we talk to them we say, well, you know, the Bible says, and they go, yeah, but, you know, there is no yeah, but you know when God says it. But there seems to be amongst the world and even some of it has trickled into the church. Oh, what agreement the text says Has the temple of God with idols for we are the temple of the living God. Just as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. A distinction. So here's what Satan has done to us. Everybody's a Christian. Right? See what, he, see, what he, see what he's done? Listen to what God says. God says, look, there, there are some folks that I'm going to be amongst, and there are some folks I'm not going to be amongst. And, and so if everybody's a Christian, we no longer have to evangelize, right? See what Satan's done to us? And so, oh, a believer is a Christian. Well, yeah, in the Bible, that's correct. Been, they're baptized, immersed into Christ. But those who just believe in God, and that's enough, that's not what Christianity is. That's not how one comes to Christ. But Satan is so tricky that he's deceived us into believing that there is no such thing any longer as the common and the uncommon or the clean and the unclean. We're all in a melting pot together. There is no such thing as the the lost and the saved. And so since there is no such thing as the lost and the saved, it's okay to seek for the living among the dead. It's okay to find life among the dead, even though there is no life. Verse 17 says, therefore come out from their... Anyone ever an eraser? (laughs) Want to erase that one? Therefore come out from their midst and be separate. Sanctified, right? Be a sanctified people. I mean, you know, stand alone. People look over there and go, that guy's a Christian. That's all right. Let them identify who you are. Be separate from the world. All things are not laughable. There's not a joke for everything. Right? What about the seriousness of life? What about us taking the lead? What about us helping them to see there's a way that God wants you to live? And he wants to give us life. And he wants to give us peace. Some convince us and say, oh, man, I am totally happy where I am. That should tell us something, right? That should tell us something. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters of me, says the Lord Almighty. You see, God says you've got to come out from the midst of the world and be separate from the world. There is no life in the world. There's only life in Christ. Do we believe that His morning church? I mean, he's told us that. He tells us over and over again. I'm going to Matthew chapter 6. He tells us in so many different ways. He gave us parables about it. He showed us. He told us. He gave us examples about it. He gave us statements about it. He gave us necessary inferences about it. He gave it to us in so many ways. And then he says to us in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. You cannot, Christians, you cannot live in the world and, and live... And live with Satan, you can't do that. It's one or the other. Come out from their midst, Jesus said. And be ye separate through through inspiration, through Paul. And then and God is telling us now no one can serve two masters. It's an impossibility. We can't do it. We know we can't. But here's what Satan has done Satan has tricked many of us. He has deceived us. He is the deceiver. And he's so good. And what he does, right? you know the question comes up over and over again. we ask it. we ask um, how did how did Eve get Adam to eat from the the tree, the forbidden tree? What did she say? What did she do? How did she do that? Satan is so he's tricky, he's tricky, right? Adam wasn't deceived, but she was deceived. He tricked her. He tricked her. Right? Into believing that you know there's something you're missing in life. You're missing this, this amazing knowledge of good and evil. You, oh, you don't know what you're missing out on, Eve. She's like, Really? I'm missing out on it? Yeah. You're miss- you need to know what God knows. Do I? Yeah, you do. No, you don't. Just we just have to know what God revealed. Secret things belong to God, Deuteronomy 29 and 29. There's some things we'll never know. But it piques our interest, doesn't it? But I want to know, Satan is tricky. You know what, Satan? I'm going to come to this in just a moment where I'm really trying to get to because I want to show you how tricky he is and, and how he can, he can take a, a man who is solid in Christ, right, a woman who loves God and trick us. Right? I've been stung by him. Have you, you ever been stung by the devil? I've been stung by him lots of times done by the devil he's tricky and we've got to be careful that we don't try to mix our christianity in with the world without the purpose of trying to convert the world right because satan's always trying to convert us right satan's always trying to convert us you know where he's starting right you know where his, you know where his power is right now in the children yeah, we have to live lives of tolerance. We have to live lives that are that are lives. We're not, it doesn't matter what anyone chooses or how they choose to live. We have to accept it, or we're the what? We're the judging. We're the judgmental people. We're the bad people. See, how he tricks it. He he switches it, and he tricks us into believing that maybe God's wrong, that maybe we're not seeking the living among the dead. But maybe the world is actually alive. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hold to the one, or hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other, but no one can serve both God and mammon. There has to be a separation. You have to love one and hate the other. You have to love God, right, and hate Satan. Oh no, God God doesn't want us to hate. Yeah, I think he says you, you have to hate, to love less, right? To love God and hate my sin. To love my sin less than I love God. So that I choose God every time over sin. We know what happens though. James chapter 1. My sin gets a hold of me. And when it gets a hold of me, it's, it's me. It's all It's all me. Can I admit that? it's all me, right? I I choose it. I choose to love my sin more than I choose to love God. I I choose to, with that word hate, to love, to love less. I choose to, I choose to just kind of be okay with sin, you know, straddle the fence. Because I say, you know, well, we're all sinners, so, you know, that's a justification, isn't it? That's only justification. We're all sinners, so therefore, it's okay if I do this because we're all sinners, right? No one's perfect. Why don't you try to be perfect? Why don't you strive after it, right? Why don't you say, today I'm not going to sin. And so when that guy cuts you off, you go, nope, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless him instead, but not the southern kind of bless him. You know, like, old oh, bless him. Not that one. Like true blessings, right? I'm going to love him anyway, right? When someone ruffles my feathers... Instead of mm, being angry and fighting back, I'm going to step back and I'm going to handle it the way Jesus would. I'm going to keep God as number one in my mind, in my heart, and in my soul. I'm going to love my sin less than I love God. James 1 tells me, Tony, you are the problem. I am my own worst enemy and you are your own worst enemies, right? Let us, verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. It's the stuff I want. <laughs> it's what I want. It's not what you want. It's what I, it's what I want. I, I want this. I want to do that. I, I want, I'm coveting. I, I want to, I want, I want, I want and so I do. I do what I want. I fulfill my own destiny. I fulfill what I want. I go after what I want. I want it. And then when I, when I find myself caught in it, then I try to find a way out. Now, we know God is the answer. But we try to find a way out. We try to find some kind of justification for my own desires, for my own lust. And I'm seeking for life because because that brought fulfillment for just a moment, right? That life brought fulfillment because it satisfied satisfied me for just a moment. But the problem is, it killed me because it was sin. And so then I was kind of like crucifying Jesus afresh, right? A new Hebrews chapter 6. Putting him back on the cross. Forgetting who I am. Forgetting what manner of man I am forgetting, that, forgetting that, that I'm a Christian, just for a moment. Just for a moment. You know, one day I was uh, sitting back and I, and I thought about all the songs that I grew up learning in the world. You know, and all of them, I, when I thought about the words, I never thought about the words of the song. All of them about cheating and, and, and other bad stuff. Just sin. mean, the majority of them were. You know, and loving you is wrong. I don't want to be right. (laughs) Some of you know the words of that song. I mean, I I grew up singing those songs, and then one day I thought, wait a minute. Wait, what does that song actually say? Oh, wait, that's not a good song. Right? But I like that song. No, you don't like that song, preacher. Right? I got to let go of some things, right, that I grew up with. I have to let go of some of those things that I grew up with that are pulling me away from God. But no, I want. I want to sing that song. No, I want. It's what I want. Life. See, life is all about what. But each one is tempted when he is he's he carried away and enticed by his own lust. And when lust is conceded, it gives birth to sin. And when sin's accomplished, it brings forth death. And then he says, "Do not be deceived, my beloved brother. Don't be tricked into believing that that's not where you were." And maybe. Maybe that's where I am. Why seek the living one? I'm going to Isaiah 44. That'll be on the screen. Among the dead. That question is just as relevant today as, as it was to them then. It's just in a different, uh, different context. But it's relevant today because we often look for life in the wrong places, church. And we, and we find ourselves... Seeking fulfillment in in materialism, right? In material possessions, you know, as long as I have this and have that, I'm happy. And that's not really true, right? Because you can live without it. Right? It's not really true. But we find ourselves seeking that fulfillment in that in worldly pursuits, even in people, in in theater, in in friendship, in in material possessions, and. And then, you know, you got you to gotta remember, like on Facebook, when it first hit the scene, I know the, the young folks don't use Facebook any longer, but, but so many still do. And it was the idea of you got to get a like. You know, that like was like, it was like uh, this thing that, it, that increased endorphins in a man's mind. It just, and it made you feel good because someone liked something you did or a post you put on there. And then you go, ooh, I've got, I've got 10 likes in a thousand friends. And I'm thinking to myself, don't you have 990 dislikes? <laughs> right? Right? I'm like, how does that make you happy? <laughs> there's no fulfillment in that, right? Because, oh, look, two people passed this on, and you've got 1,500 friends. <laughs> I'm thinking there's something wrong with this picture. But that's the point, that Satan is able to deceive us and, and, and make us just miss the reality of what's before us. And I want to look at just for a moment in Isaiah 44 at how Satan did that, even to those of that day. So seeking and living among the dead is like seeking for, for water in the desert sand. It's just going to disappoint you right The ocean's right there <laughs> you're, you're, in the, you're in the sometimes you're on the beach and you're looking for things you're, I got a lot of things to say. Let me just move on Isaiah 44 Isaiah 44 how does Satan? how does Satan trick us So the, so the context of Isaiah 44 is God is, God is telling them, reminding them that there's only one God. They know it's only, there's only one God. They've, they've watched it. They've, they've seen it. They've, they've participated in the one God. They understood. But they were, they were being tricked. They were being deceived because here's the thing about, about idolatry. From a human perspective outside of God, the nice thing about idolatry is idol gods don't tell you what to do. You get to make the rules pretty good right and that and that's satan's trick that that's satan's trick and say you know satan has a bible and in satan's book it doesn't say go murder it doesn't say you know it doesn't tell you to do it specifically and instead it it says uh, do what your heart's content do what your heart's content what does that mean well that opens up the floodgates doesn't it do what you want to do the complete opposite of what god has commanded. So, so Satan has tricked uh, Israel. He tricked Israel. And I, I want to show you that Satan works the same way today. What he does is, he gets rid of this thing called common sense. Right? So we're going we're to close in Isaiah 44 this morning. We're going talk about common sense. Common sense tells me, when I look up at the sun, I know I didn't put it there. And I know that no human put it there. Common sense tells me someone greater than the sun made the sun and the moon and the stars, right? That's just common sense. Nonsense says, oh no. There was an explosion and it it disappeared. And it it warms us on a regular basis and it's two our good. Now, I've done, you ever had an M80 back in the day, you know? And you put them inside of a can or anywhere, right? And when I blew things up, they didn't make pretty stuff. <laughs> yeah, so, so common sense tells me when you blow something up, I'm, I'm sorry, it doesn't make anything beautiful or, or glorious, even like, like the sun. So God's question to them is, all right, let's use some common sense. Who Verse 10, who fashioned a God or cast an idol to no profit? He's talking to people. He's saying, this is what you've done. All right. Behold, all his companions will be put to shame. For the craftsmen themselves are mere men. That's important. right? They're just regular old men. right? So, so here I am. I'm, I'm just a regular old man. A regular old dude. I'm nothing great. I'm not a god. I'm just a regular old man. And here's what these regular old men did. Let them all assemble themselves. Let them stand. And let them tremble. And let them together be put to shame. Now, all right, these regular old men decided we're going to fix our problems. How are you going to do it? We're going to make a God. And we're going to worship that God. And, we're going to, and that God's going to fix our problems. And here's why. Because we're going to make the rules. But that doesn't fix our problems. That's what got us into trouble. Right? But they made these gods. Now listen to what they do. Verse 12. The man shapes iron into a cutting tool and does his work over the coals, fashioning it with hammers and working it with his strong arm. He also gets hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and becomes weary. So God is emphasizing in verse 12 a mere man. He's just a mere man. You know, he wears out. he's He's a mere man. He's nothing else than that. He is not a God. He's just a mere... So a mere man makes a God. Now that doesn't make any sense to me. You can't just be a regular old mere man and make a god and tell me I've got to follow it. But that's what he is. He's just a mere man. Another mere man, verse 13, another shapes wood. He extends uh, a measuring line. He outlines it with red chalk. He works it with planes and outlines it with a a compass and makes it like the form of a man, like the beauty of a man, so that it may sit in a house. Just a mere man doing this, right? Let let me tell you something else. Now, I don't read this magazine, but, you know, mere men take, like, I think it's called Glamour Magazine or whatever, you know, to say to women, this is what you're supposed to look like, and they they fix her. Those are just mere men. Don't listen to mere men. Don't let a mere man tell you how you're... We got to listen to God. The confusion of the world that says this is what we ought to do and it's just mere men making these rules and we're following them and God says don't listen to them listen to me why did they go down to the tomb church because they stopped listening to God they weren't listening to Jesus if God made us all the same it'd be a pretty boring world wouldn't it but he made us different for a reason be happy in your difference and our differences these are just mere men surely verse 14 surely he cuts cedars for himself and takes a cypress or an oak and raises it for himself among the trees of the forest he plants a fir and rain makes it grow then it becomes something for a man to burn so he takes one of them and warms himself he also makes a, fir, a fire excuse me, to bake bread. He also makes a god and worships it. He makes it a graving image and falls down before it. Common sense. God made the tree grow. You went out and cut the wood. With the wood, you made something. You made a house. You made something nice. And you had some wood left over. And then you, you warmed yourself with it, with the fire. And you bake, you bake bread over the, over the wood. And then you have some wood left. And you go, ah, I'm going to make a God. And then you carve out a God, and you set it on a mantle, and then you bow down and you worship it and say, okay, that's my God. In fact, you say, that's the God of my house. <laughs> How did he get them to believe that? I'm just trying to show you how tricky Satan is. Listen to what the Bible says. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over this half he eats meat and he roasts a roast and is satisfied. He also warms himself and says, Aha! I am warm. I have seen the fire. But the rest of it he makes into a God his graven image. He falls down before it and worships He also prays to it and says, Deliver me, for thou art my God. Now how much sense does that make? That's nonsense. Right. But that's how good Satan is. Satan can get people who have common sense to do some things that are absolutely ridiculous. That make absolutely no sense at all. I'm going to close here in, in just a moment. I want you to think about I want you to think about Exodus they cross well first of all they're on one side of the sea and Pharaoh's coming after them and God opens up the sea you know in and, and Exodus and, and, and God, they go through on dry ground and we, we teach the children that and we know that we, we get it and then, and then they get to the other side and God closes the sea over and, and all of Pharaoh and his chariots and his armies are drowned in the sea and God said you'll see them no more and, they, and it's, they're okay Moses goes up on the mountain. Moses comes down from the mountain. Moses goes up to the mountain. And he talks to God. And, and then all of a sudden there's this, this sound that's going on down there. Uh, and, and so Moses and, 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 you know, Joshua, what is that sound? And, and Moses is told by God, Moses knows that those people are down there playing the harlot. And you know what they did? They said, Aaron, get all the gold together and let's melt it down and let's make a calf. And they did. And then they said, hey guys, this is the calf. This is the God that part of the Red Sea. (laughs) Makes perfect sense to us. That's nonsense. You made it. If you made it, you're greater than the thing you made. Satan is tricky. Satan is slick. This morning, the question is, why am I seeking for true fulfillment? Why am I seeking for life in a dead world? And then the other part of that is, how in the world have I actually found life, what I call life, in the world? That tells me that I've got some pretty shallow thinking when it comes to what life really is. Because the life that the Bible tells us about is full and abundant. I close with this thought. You know how as we grow older, you start having aches and pains that you didn't know you were going to have And you start living with it, though, right? You live with it. And that becomes your new normal. Right? And you get used to it. And you live with it. That's kind of what it's like living in the world. We find this form of happiness that really doesn't exist. And it becomes our new normal. And that new normal... That new normal, we get used to it and we, get, we become comfortable with it. And that new normal draws us away from God because you already feel filled up and satisfied and you don't even realize you're working off of an empty tank. You can only find it in the Lord. Why were they seeking for Jesus at that tomb? Oh, by the way, we'll do part. We'll do the next one next week. Why were they seeking for the living among the dead? Why were they looking for Jesus in that tomb? Because they weren't listening. And this morning, I encourage you to read your word, read the word, read your Bible, and listen. Listen to what God is trying to tell you. And this morning, if you are not a child of God, I pray that something was said just to encourage you to think about listening to God to surrender to Him in the waters of baptism, to give your life to God. Perhaps you're struggling in your walk of faith. Perhaps something was said this morning just to stimulate your, your love and your, and your mind to doing good good deeds for God. Let us turn our lives completely to the Lord because we cannot find what we're looking for in this world. If you're looking for God, if you're looking for heaven, if you're looking for sanctification, if you're looking for satisfaction, if you're looking for true fulfillment, you can't find it in the world. You can only find an empty tank in the world. And Satan will never fill that tank up. The lesson this morning is yours. If we can help in any way, please come while together we stand and sing our song of invitation. very. Please help me, dear Lord. I stand in need of more strength from your word Refuse my love, refill my faith, oh, restore my soul. Refire the fire, Lord, deep in my soul.